Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more. The fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com. 18 plus begambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. This is a game day podcast from Talk Sport. Hello and welcome to the game day podcast from Talk Sport. I'm Sam Matterface, and usually at this time of the week, we would be getting ready for a bustling weekend of football, travel, and entertainment. And our job was to preview all 10 fixtures in less than an hour, but things change. What our podcast is going to do now is round up all the football news every week in a bite-sized chunk whilst this crisis is on and try and give you a flavour of what life is like for some of the key figures in our game who have suddenly found themselves with, well, not very much to do. This week, Joey Barton, the manager of Fleetwood Town and the former Manchester City and Newcastle midfielder, talks about his transition from player to manager and from 24-7 stress to having time on his hands. You've just got to remain optimistic and productive. And have you been bashing that indoor bike again? You see, you've inspired me. I bought I bought one as a result of our conversation. So that it's in the basement and that is like, it, that's like a godsend for me right now. I can just go in there. Well, well my no man's land's only just like really recovered from it. So <laughs> I haven't been on it for a while. So obviously I'm not looking forward to bruising that again. And that interview is coming up shortly. This is Game Day. And alongside me for the duration of this crisis will be TalkSport's Alex Crook, South Coast correspondent, a football man. But because we're social distancing, 240 miles or so, we're taking it pretty pretty literally. Um, he may sound a little bit further away than normal. Be patient with us. We will sort that out next week. And, and things will be different next week as well. We'll have a lot more fun and we'll try and do some uh, little quirky features for you, which we've been brainstorming for the last couple of days or so. Uh, but we're going to concentrate on bringing you the latest news this week and making sure you're up to date with exactly what's happened and what that might mean going forward. And also there's some serious stories that we do need to, to cover about scheduling and also about the finances of football clubs. Uh, so uh, first of all, I'll say, Crook, how are you? Are you okay? Are things all right? I'm good. I'd like to have some football to talk about. <laughs> um, I know that it's a situation which is unprecedented and uh, I know that we're all sort of feeling sorry for ourselves about football. Health, obviously, more important than anything else. Uh, but just in terms of uh, like the way it is working-wise, I mean, work for us is always, I think, quite interesting because we're pretty autonomous as journalists. We sort of do a lot of work on our own, but we're also very sort of social beasts aren't we social animals and it it is weird for everyone especially people in our industry who are used to sort of like that human contact it is um you know that the, <laughs> we're creatures of habit in many ways as much as our job is, is unpredictable you never know what story you're going to be working on from from one day to the next you know you never know what narrative is going to come out at any match that you're covering at any one time but we have press conferences on a thursday and a friday we have preparation towards the the, the weekend commentary 
Uh, I'm sure you're like me on a Monday. You you watch all the highlights from the various leagues over the weekend to make sure you're you're completely abreast is what is going on in every division. All of a sudden, all that's been completely put on hold. Okay, let's uh, go through some of the headlines from the big stories of the week. Um, UEFA have confirmed that they will postpone the European Championships of 2020 and play it in the summer of 2021. UEFA also confirmed that the 2021 Women's European Championship in England will be rescheduled to accommodate that men's addition. Palace chairman Steve Parrish has promised that he will fully pay all of the Palace staff during the current coronavirus crisis. Lower league clubs are particularly worried about their finances, fearing that insurance companies will not cover their losses. And the EFL and the Premier League are holding meetings this week to discuss possible next steps as to how to reschedule the season or how to complete the season. Alex Crook, as I said, is here to discuss these stories with me. Let's start with that UEFA postponements first of all. I suppose the key headline from that, that is, if UEFA are postponing the European Championships, then what they want, if possible, is to give domestic leagues every chance of completing their seasons. Absolutely. This this was the no-brainer. We knew this decision was coming. It was reached fairly swiftly. Uh, that meeting of the various delegations on Tuesday. June the 30th is the date that is, has been banded around and the date by which clubs in all various countries that have been affected are keen to complete their seasons by. I think that could be more realistic in, in some countries than others. I have to say, I think the, the Premier League perhaps is a bit behind the eight ball here in, in the fact that the coronavirus crisis I don't think has peaked in this country, whereas perhaps it has in, say, Italy, when they're more confident of being able to complete the season within that time frame. I guess only time will tell. Um, In terms of the way that the season will be restructured, I think it's certainly going to be a case of having to accept maybe things that aren't perfect. So it could be that that season is completed behind closed doors for some leagues, maybe not others. But as you mentioned, the the, the crisis, the, the peak of the virus hasn't reached certain areas yet. So timeframes are a little bit unsure. But completing the tournament behind closed doors has not been ruled out. It's something that will be discussed, I think, with the Premier League this week. And we will update you on that, by the way. There is a meeting expected to be on Thursday afternoon in London uh, via conference call. And once that happens, we'll add a little appendix onto this podcast feed where you'll be able to sort of get a flavour of what happened at the meeting. We don't expect too much detail out of it, do we? I don't think so. Um, I I, I think if we're hoping that they're going to come out and give us a a definite date as to when the seasons will restart and therefore when they will be completed, I think that is a forlorn hope. Uh, One of the ideas that I'm told is is possibly being considered, uh, as you've mentioned, there is the behind-closed-doors approach. And not only that, uh, but there is a suggestion in some quarters that some clubs are pushing for these behind-closed-doors games to actually be played at neutral venues. Because, of course, what we've seen in other countries uh, where they did go ahead with behind-closed-doors matches was that fans were gathering en masse outside stadiums, which, of course, defeats the whole concept of playing behind-closed-doors because the idea of that is is to stop the virus spreading amongst the spectators. Of course, if you've got hundreds of thousands of fans watching uh, outside the gate, if you like, then, then clearly that makes the idea of behind-closed-doors redundant. So the neutral venues aspect is one that interests me but clearly they are going to be keen to show as many of these remaining 92 Premier League matches as possible live on television you could have a situation if they are played behind closed doors where there are three or four games taking place in a single day yeah and then that would be acceptable I think probably to everyone and I'm sure that people will have to accept that that things aren't going to be entirely perfect and 
I know there's sort of contractual issues as well which might come into play and that's something that's going to have to be addressed because if the season isn't completed by June the 30th we could be in a situation where up to 70 Premier League players are out of contract and are not obligated to play for that particular club that's that, that's something that has to be ironed out I think yeah, and that's not taking into account the players that are on loan. For example, two of Southampton's players, Fraser Forster and Mohamed El Yanoussi, have become pretty pivotal to Celtic's title hopes over in Scotland. Of course, their loan deals are due to uh, come to an end when the season was originally scheduled to finish. Now, I've spoken to my sources at St Mary's and they say that because those two players are under contract, therefore their contracts are not expiring over the summer, it shouldn't be too difficult a deal to get that loan deal extended. But if you've got players on loan, as have another one of my clubs uh, lower down the food chain in Portsmouth, whose contracts at their parent clubs are coming to an end, that's a more difficult deal to do. Yeah, of course, uh, it isn't just the Premier League that is uh, struggling to complete its season. The, com- the, the, the completion of the Premier League almost looks like a foregone conclusion. The fact that Liverpool are going to win it, there are other issues to be sorted out. But in terms of the big prize, Liverpool will win the league no matter what happens. Uh, but with Portsmouth going for promotion in League One, Coventry hoping to get promoted from that same division, with West Brom and Leeds in the Championship and the possible relegation situation at the bottom of that division, there is a, a lot tighter uh, races than there is in the Premier League, certainly for the top prize is concerned. That, all that has to be taken into consideration as well. But we do have to accept it. It's a different situation. We just have to, whatever is decided, I do hope it's a sensible sort of consensus of opinion rather than sort of people battering down and, and, and being stubborn about their own positions. I think it's important that there's a lot of cooperation here because it, has, it will leave a bad taste in the mouth if people are self-interested rather than for the good of the game, which I think is something that certainly the UEFA have, have managed to sort of give the impression of a united front during this sort of crisis where they've talked about the postponement. One of the, the other sort of benefits, I suppose, to England, and, and not that you're sort of looking to make hay out of a, a bad situation, is, is that you know th- their injuries would have cleared up. Marcus Rashford, Harry Kane will be possibly fully fit for the for the European Championships in 2021 now, something that looks unlikely for this European Championship. I mean, I mean, others may not be fit and there might be other pitfalls. We might lose somebody else to injury. But, but ultimately, for Harry Kane personally and for Marcus Rashford personally, that's probably a good thing. Yeah, I'm sure David Brooks down at Bournemouth uh, won't be shedding too many tears over the postponement either because, of course, he's missed most of the season. He's going to be one of Wales's key players Uh, if and when the tournament does take place. But just to go back to the earlier point you were making, I I, I guess football, in in a way, is not exempt from the the problems we're seeing in society with the stockpiling of of toilet rolls, etc. Human instinct, often, uh, in times of crisis, is self-preservation. We've seen that already uh, with the comments that Karen Brady has made, uh, saying the season should be voided, because, of course, that would mean West Ham would survive in the Premier League, when at the moment, the reality is they're very much in the thick of a relegation battle. I know for a fact there are at least two... Uh, club chairman who were willing to back West Ham in that and say, look, let's just scrap the season now and we'll start again in August. Now, I'm not psychic, but I would imagine those two clubs were two of the clubs in the bottom three because, of course, the, the cost of relegation from the Premier League is enormous. It was Paul Barber, the Brighton chief executive, who put forward this proposal to have a 22-team Premier League this season, keep the current 20 as it is, effectively void the season. They'll probably hand Liverpool the title anyway. I don't think there'll be too much... Uh, protest if that happens but promote Leeds and West Bromwich Albion there's no way that can work because we know that football's fortunes can fluctuate on an almost weekly basis if you're Brentford or Bristol City and and, and you still fancy your chances of overhauling Leeds and West Bromwich Albion suddenly you would be going to the lawyers so this season has to finish 
Now, if it finishes in June, brilliant. If it finishes in August and the new season has to be delayed, that, for me, is the only inevitable outcome. Yeah, it's tougher. I don't care how long it takes. I mean, I've said this right from the very start. You have to press pause on the season and you have to then continue it to its conclusion. And if that means that you're still playing it in October, you're still playing it in October, that is it. And everything else has to follow afterwards. And does that mean that we start a new season in December? Well, if that is the case, that's that's the way it is. L- listen, I've never spent so much time indoors in my house. <laughs> I'm sure you've never had so much time um, not going to a football match. You know, it's different. Life is different now. Experience is different. So what? You know, we'll we'll deal with it. We have to be sensible. We have to be calm. We all have to work together to get a sensible solution. I think that's only fair. And football is not important, but it is important at the same time. So you know, that I think pause is the right thing to do. I think going back to the UEFA announcement, they've also said about the women's game and that it could uh, be that the women's European Championship, which is slated to take part, uh, take place in England in 2021, could run immediately after the men's European Championship. I, would that be good for the women's game? Do you think? I, I think because of the fact that we've got such a a first for football, especially in this country, and you've got the added sort of someone's taken it away from me so I want it back again I think when it comes back I think we'll be so desperate to to, to get our uh, our fix of it that that might be absolutely perfect yeah and, and actually if, if England's men do well at the European Championships then that feel-good factor uh, clearly is going to to spread into the women's game and, and there will be an appetite to watch that tournament equally if Gareth Southgate's men as I've grimly predicted, don't perform very well, uh, then people are going to want to, want to make themselves feel better by watching the women's tournament. So I think it's a win-win-win for the women's game. Um, they've gone a bit unnoticed. You know, we, we, We've seen a lot about the postponement of the men's European Championships. Uh, not so much, barring one article that I've read in The Guardian about what is going to happen with the women's game. But as I say, I think it's, a, it's going to be a positive situation either way for them. I must admit, I've been following it keenly because I, immediately as soon as they t- started talking about the European Championship being postponed by year, I, for me, because we cover it on TalkSport, um, I thought, well, we've already got a tournament that year, so we've got to be very careful about how we handle that. But look, you know, if you're if you're saying to me I can do two tournaments in, in one summer, I'm going to be very happy about that because I get to see a lot of football and uh, I cross my fingers and hope that that is the way that we reschedule. Um, OK, uh, just any other headlines from any other clubs? I was talking to one Premier League club who were talking to me last week about how the speed of the, the way events turned were really quick because... Basically, at 6.30 on Thursday night, it was all systems go. The Premier League is continuing and the game on Saturday that that, that club were, were, were due to play was definitely going ahead. A particular coach I know was preparing video analysis uh, for a couple of hours and then got a phone call from his manager at 9.30 and said, hold on a second, this game is now off because this has happened and this has happened. And those big developments, I think, on Thursday night were Callum Hodson-Odoi testing positive for coronavirus and Mikel Arteta doing the same and and those two events I think just completely changed the Premier League landscape yeah I think you're right um I mean as, as soon as we found out that Mikel Arteta had been tested positive there was no possibility that that game which I was due to be covering actually for talk sport of Brighton would go ahead and I think it was inevitable actually uh, that the whole program would be scrapped as soon as any players or managers start testing positive and I guess this is the big question uh, as to when we resume because 
everybody could be fighting fit on the face of it, but this disease is not going to go away in a hurry. It mm. could well rear its head again, uh, even when we think we're out of the worst of it. And what happens if we call all the uh, players back to training and we reschedule all the matches, and then another player, another coach, another member of the backroom staff test positive for the virus, we are literally back to square one. So I think this is a big problem, um, not just for the Premier League, but for all the leagues. Yeah, And, and also the fitness of players as well. I think I think I think we're two things. We'll get onto the fitness in just a second because I know you've got a story on that. Uh, but um, in terms of the the virus situation, I think there will be a point where we have to accept if we want Premier League football to return that there might be players that cannot play because they have the virus. A bit like there are players that that, that cannot play because they have picked up an Achilles injury or a toe injury or a or a, a thigh pull. Uh, it may be that we have to make that compromise going forward. But you, you you have actually mentioned to me privately about the fitness of players and worrying about how they keep themselves in top shape whilst this period is still uncertain. We don't know when it's going to end because they can't go to gyms and they certainly don't all. Some Premier League players certainly do have gyms in their houses, but they certainly don't have the facilities that they're used to at training grounds. No, we've seen that video, haven't we, on social media of uh, Diego Dallo and Bruno Fernandes having their own kickabout in, in their back garden. Dallo is is still in his Manchester United training kit. So so clearly players are trying to keep themselves fit. But yeah, I've, I've spoken to a member of backroom staff at a Premier League club and, and, and his concern is that Basically, you can give the players all the at-home fitness advice and, and dietary advice that you like. There is no substitute uh, for going to a training ground day in, day out, preparing yourself for, for, for the battle that is to come on a Saturday. So the, the question is, when players are allowed uh, to return to training and when matches are rescheduled, do they almost need a mini pre-season? And of course, again, we're not talking about robots here. Uh, all players are different in their metabolism, in, in how quickly they get up to speed. Some players are going to rediscover their match fitness quicker than others. So therefore, the integrity uh, of the competition, I think, in some way is going to be called into question. Because, I mean, we've seen with Liverpool, look what happened there when they had the, the winter break that Jurgen Klopp had been craving for. They barely won a game since. Other teams' players are going to build up match fitness and get up to speed much quicker. So I think we will see some freak results. There's no question about that. It's going to be really interesting. That, that That's something that we have to accept, though, isn't it? That's just something that happens in, in a scenario like this. This is an unprecedented situation. So there are going to be unprecedented results. There are going to be unprecedented turns of events. And we just have to accept some of that, I think. I mean, there'll be some people that don't ever accept it and they'll be completely moaning about it forever. But let's be honest, right now, you know, it's a miracle if you can get a toilet roll in a supermarket or some pasta. And you don't even like pasta, do you? It, you know, it, when it comes back, if we just get football, I think some... I think most of us will just accept that this is just a, a an unprecedented event and, and, and certain things that we weren't expecting to happen and that we're not entirely happy with. We just have to go with. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wegovy and Zepbound for those who qualify. 
Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Labrooks. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18+, be gambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. Uh, right, listen, um, let's talk to Joey Barton because he is one of those many football managers from across the country that has seen his whole schedule decimated because of this coronavirus outbreak. He's the manager of Fleetwood Town. Very recently, he was part of the TalkSport commentary team. 18 months ago, he was uh, sitting at Anfield with me and he revealed that he was going to be the manager of Fleetwood Town as soon as his banned by the FA for betting on uh, football matches came to an end. And that's exactly what happened. He became the Fleetwood manager. 18 months in, 24-7 work has stopped all of a sudden, but he's still in good spirits. Sam, how are you, mate? You're okay? Good. Yeah. Good to speak to you. Not too bad. I'm pleased we can still communicate, which is great. <laughs> um, what's the state of play with, with, with Fleetwood Town and how, how are you operating on a day-to-day basis? Is, is, it, is it finished? Is it stopped? Are you suspended from training or, or what? Yeah, well, well, this coronavirus issue has shut down pretty much every football club, every sports club by the look of it. So... Obviously, it was announced Friday morning, I think, that the Premier League and EFL games would be, would be called off. And and then we decided we'd give the lads, you know, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday off so we could get a you know handle on our training ground. And we're slightly different to many football clubs in terms of we've actually got a community part of the, of the training ground that's open, open to the public and the use part of it. We've also got one of the owners' businesses on, on site as well, so... It's not like it's just specifically football. So we thought we may be able to shut down everything other than the football part of it or the first team part of it, which would include the academies and so on and so forth to obviously give us as much insulation as we possibly could for the players. But then as it transpired over the last coming few days, you know, certainly the last 48, 24 hours, it's, it, it's been a complete shut, shutdown of obviously mass gatherings and, and obviously our training ground falls in that bracket so at this moment in time we're, we're, we're locked out of it um, so we've got to give the lads individual you know protocols to keep themselves ticking over because you know this could start back up for us next week it could also not start for another six months so it's a it's a bizarre time really as a as a coach uh, certainly with nine games to go and, and everything to play for you know in our uh, domestic uh, campaign. Yeah, are you one of those who is the season must finish kind of guy, or are you not even thinking about that yet because you, everything's so uncertain? It, it, I've never known anything in in, in my lifetime, uh, certainly like this. So at this point, you kind of understand its unique circumstances, and I think football isn't that important. Um, surely we can sort that out once we know everyone's going to be safe. How are you keeping tabs on the players then? Well, WhatsApp. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, look, it, 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 again, we're still early, so it's it's a case of we're, we're dealing with this on a day by day basis. So it's like, okay, you know, what can we do today? What can we do tomorrow? What can we do the next day? It's it's literally, you know, 
inch by inch because you know the government don't particularly know what they're doing by the look of it i mean you know we can't put our lads in any danger and their families and family members in any further danger because you know nobody knows the full extent of actually what is going on you know it, it may well be a, a number of days maybe even weeks maybe even months before we actually know that so at this moment in time it's it's a case of just interacting with the players first and foremost to make sure that they're okay, you know, that regardless of training, that they're actually fine and that their family members are fine. And, you know, that is the priority at the moment. And obviously, if we can, we've got to keep them fit because we're seeing this disease. It looks like it's a, something that attack, attacks certainly the immune system. So, uh, you know, encouraging them to stay fit, healthy, get out, do a bit of work, keep themselves in shape because, again, we could start back up very, very quickly or... or or, or or not so we have to make contingency plans for pretty much every everything that can happen which is a lot at this moment is anyone that, that is involved with the club being forced to self-isolate or tested positive or had symptoms or had contact has there been any worry from your sort of side that that, that, that someone at the club has come into contact with it no we, we we don't have any of those fears at this moment albeit you know, if anybody's got a slight temperature or anybody's got anything at this moment, the doc's obviously hyper alert and is is making sure that, you know, that they are uh, getting the best advice and, and information that they can. I mean, we were quite lucky in terms of um, we met at Leaders in Sport Conference a few years ago, um, a guy called Lieutenant Colonel Chris Gibson, who helped stop the spread of Ebola in, uh, I think it was Sierra Leone at the time. He was a huge part of the British military operation to... Um, set up the hospital and obviously make sure it was um, able to contain the disease and, and, and therefore stop the spread of it. So we, we, we've been speaking to Chris since the relatively early news about this and, and he's given us some really good advice and feedback which we followed and it's probably kept us sheltered a little bit from it but but it does look like this is a, a an epidemic that's going to go uh, right through all facets of, of our society and, and, and just hopefully it's 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 not as bad as first feared. Um, some coaches I've spoken to are dealing with it okay, actually. Some are, are climbing the walls, some are using the time, you know, quite quite well and, and, and throwing themselves into scouting or looking at footage of players. What, what are you doing or what are you planning to do? Oh, I've just been reading, catching up on my sleep, uh, de-stressing myself after... <laughs> a stressful season um so yeah just just day by day doing a lot of meditation mate just lots of work to catch up on um so yeah it's strange um uh, but you've got just got to remain optimistic and productive and, have you been bashing that indoor bike again no i haven't got it set up my missus um made me take it out the the conservatory because she wanted to use it uh, last summer um, you've 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 uh, touched an issue that is one of my to do list uh, ah. topics. You see, you inspired me. I bought I bought one as a result of our conversation. So it's in the basement, and that is like that's like a godsend for me right now. I can just go in there. Well, well my no man's land's only just like really recovered from it, so it, I haven't been on it for a while. So obviously, I'm not looking forward to bruising that again. Uh, but but you know, the first few weeks on the bike, yeah, it's a very very sore yeah. uh, experience. So. <laughs> Um, I'm trying to will myself on for that. There'll be a point where I want to feel pain and suffering after, you know, climbing the walls here and having football taken away from us. So it won't be long before I start seeing some mad um, fitness uh, regimes, no doubt, on social media. I, I don't want to sort of predict what's going to happen with uh, the football and whether or not we're going to start 
the season again or whether we're going to start the season from where we left it, etc., etc. That's probably for another day. But what's the sort of state of play with players' contracts if, as sort of UEFA has sort of suggested by postponing the Euros for a year, that you, you've got to finish this season first? Because I imagine you've got quite a few players at Fleetwood, haven't you, that are out of contract at the end of June? Well, it, it's not only players, it's staff as well, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? So, obviously, Premier League boys, some of them big boys, they'll have you know multi, multi-year contracts and options and all that kind of thing. But at our level, really, you, you know, and certainly the levels below, it'll be... You know, people will be paid on how many games they play. It might be per game in the non-league. You know, you get paid per game. Obviously, the likes of yourself, you're self-employed. Um, for our lads, uh, they'll obviously, they'd have the same contract protection as they normally would. But then, I don't know. Surely, there's got to be an element of goodwill, Sam, mm. from, from everybody and common sense. This is unprecedented time. So, you know, if you've been paid now, then, you know, you, you're getting paid for work to, that you've done or, or to be done. So, I just think... We're going to have to use common sense. Um, there's going to be measures taken that have probably never been taken before. Um, but again, you know, the legality of it. I mean, you're talking about the season being concluded. You've got promotion, relegation, the finance, uh, transfer fees. I don't know. Um, nobody knows. Are you worried about the future of the club? Our football club? No. Because you've um, got Andy Pilly and others and you feel like you're a secure unit? But I suppose there'll be other clubs in your league that aren't as fortunate, right? Well, yeah, of course. You got you. You also got to uh, factor in, you know, teams that do have big fan bases. So we don't have, you know, we we have what, between two four thousand fans or something um, at home games. So obviously, Andy Pilly does a lot of the cash flow and a lot of the day to day running is because he's a very wealthy individual. Um, where other clubs that they're, they're absolutely reliant upon, you know, the, the gate receipts and the hospitality money, and surely the government have have got to step in. We're seeing in France, obviously, um, Emmanuel Macron's given some provisions, three hundred billion or something like that, to settle everybody down. Because I think at this moment in time, with such a volatile situation, and and also it, it affecting everybody's health and family members, I think the last thing you need at this point is to be stressed and worrying about paying your rent, paying your mortgage, so on and so forth. But we need strong leadership. I just felt, you know, don't really go to pubs or clubs, but I'm not shutting them. I mean, it sounds like he was taking advice from the big insurance companies. And I think at this point, surely we have to put profit to one side. This this has to be about people's safety. Stepping away from the coronavirus for a second, um, 18 months, nearly two years since you told me of your plan of becoming a manager. How have you taken to life as it? And do you see yourself as a manager or are you a head coach? What are you? I'm just somebody who likes football. Um, I I don't know. When I first spoke to to Sean about it, he was one of the first people I spoke to about, obviously, taking a job and whether it would be you know, part of those conversations where he said it takes three years, you have to do three years before you can t- consider yourself a manager. Um, and I didn't really understand that at the time when he said it. I was like, okay, but, but, but now I totally understand exactly what he meant and how he said that. And I, I do still, you know, I consider myself a coach you know, and, and a learner, first and foremost. Firstly, I learn off everybody all, every day. And and if occasionally they pick up, up the odd thing off me, then then fantastic. We've got a... Uh, a two-way street uh, going, um, but but from my perspective, you know you don't you don't know whether you can do these type of jobs until you do. I mean, we all think we can, we all scheme, we all plan, we all go on coaching courses, read books, speak to people, 
but until you actually do them, you, you don't know whether it's going to be for you or not. And, and at this moment in time, you know, we've had some um, issues along the way, but but that is always part of your growth. But, 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 but I'm really enjoying it. You know, I enjoy going to work. I don't see it as, as a job. I see it as a kind of therapeutic process where you go in and help people improve and get better and add value to their lives. So for me, it's, it, 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 it's a natural progression from, um, not being able to to play anymore because that was the thing I love most. And when you can't do that because the body or the mind or the FA depends who you talk to won't let you, uh, then then you've got to be resourceful. And, and and luckily for me, I've I've managed to get myself involved with a good good group of people at, at Fleetwood, and, and we're having some success or or relative success to to our football club. Do you model yourself on anyone, or do you have like a, a strong influence of uh, of someone who has helped you sort of shape your your style as a manager? I think you model yourself on 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 lots of people. Certainly, the good you know role models, and there's many many of them about you know in life and in our in our sports and, and in other sports. Um, at, at this moment and, and, and in certainly in the last 20, 30 years um, since I've been an avid sports fan. But I think that's maybe would, where I would struggle if I tried to be somebody else. Now, that might work for, for other people. You know, there's, there's some personalities out there who, who, who can copy and, and, and implement certain things or certain people and do that reasonably well. For me, I don't think I'm that good at it. I've never been that good of an, an, of an actor or a kind of chameleon and uh, what I do like to do is take people's ideas and, and see how that works in, in, in my world and, and, and kind of tweak that or adjust it and, and can we get um, similar success or, or, or sometimes even more success out of what is an original um, concept. Well, I, I wouldn't say I actively try to be anyone other than yourself. I just think you'd be, you, in our job, Sam, you, the players that just see straight through you, they yeah. realise you know, that you're, that you're not uh, genuine and I think you know that is the job it's it's genuinely caring about people and, and wanting to see them do well and I think if they sense that then then I, I think you get more out of them I mean Steve Black who's a, a great mentor of mine um, he would always say to me people don't know uh, don't care what you know sorry until they know how much you care and I think that, that is a very very true statement certainly uh, for my profession. In terms of uh, Steve Black, this is a guy who, what psychologist, he's a personal coach, mentor, someone that you work with. For for what reason? What what has he given you? Um, I, I met Blacky quite late actually. I met him when I was about thirty, thirty one, something like that. I was I was at QPR. I was a little bit disenfranchised by the way the club was being run about the state of training from a day to day basis. About many many standards and procedures of the football club that I didn't agree with and obviously as a player and as you know a gun for hire because that's all we ever are you know really really you know they they want your opinion up until a certain point and you know for me I felt performance across the cl- whole club was being impacted by by the standards on the training ground and the standards in the football club and to stop myself becoming frustrated with that and, and, and becoming probably militant about it. Um, I decided when I'd got like that and felt frustrated at football clubs before I had it due to the style of coaching, management, training, whatever it was, it tended not to end particularly well for me. Um, mm-hmm. It tended to end with me telling people what I thought and then me being ushered out of the football club, either in a very, very uh, public way or, or, or out of a back door. Uh, but, but it tended to 
mean I had to leave the club. Um, and, and sometimes, you know, I can understand why that happened. But but at QPR, I decided to change tact. And I'd known Johnny Wilkinson for a while in terms of, you know, playing at Newcastle and he was at the Falcons. But mm. I'd never met Blackie. I'd never ran into Stephen. I know him and Johnny had worked, you know, very, very close. And, and then I think Steve had gone working with um, Welsh Rugby Union and... and um, Sir Graham Henry there and and we just never crossed paths and then when I was at QPR weirdly we bumped into each other a mutual friend of ours introduced us and said hey you used to we knew about each other for a long time we had lots of mutual friends but we'd never been we'd never been in the same room together and then we met in 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 the Waterstones at Piccadilly Circus in London um not over nature not over Nietzsche, no, no, no. Well, Blackie's a very spiritual man, so he's a man of uh, of many, many um, things. But but one of those is spirituality. So I was going through a atheist phase, maybe. Okay. Maybe that was what you class it as, and, and obviously Steve, being Steve, was not. Um, so we had a, bit, a very deep discussion about religion and the pros and cons of, of, of multiple facets of it. So nothing at all to do with football and sports. But but we spoke for about two and a half hours having over, over coffee and cake. And we just got on. Um, and I remember walking out the room and the guy who introduced us said, oh, it's Eddie Jennings, his name is, he's gone, it's like an angel, isn't he? Like a guardian angel. Did you feel like it? And I've gone, no, no, no. He's just a mad sports fan. I just had a great sports and religious conversation with him. Like it's, there, there was no like, epiphany moment no light going on and then we met about three weeks after that um because of our schedules we were arranging another day in the diary and we met in carluccio's in richmond and nice 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 place well he loves carluccio's i'm not a massive fan of it. it's okay but i mean i could take it or leave it i prefer yo sushi i think for for that kind of uh meal um, so yeah, we we met in carluccio's uh and then that was the first time we ever chatted about like the real nuances of what we felt was a, a culture in, in terms of football culture and how we would um, how we would work together going forward. And it was the first time anybody really challenged me in a long time because I always remember him saying to me, do you, do you think you can get better? And I was like, mm, yeah, I'm 30, 31. I'm, I'm, I wasn't so much thinking I could get better as, as opposed to could have stopped the decline. Um, and I, I think there's a fundamental difference in that mindset. And obviously Blackie challenged me on that. We had a, a really... Um, good conversation about that and I remember I, w- I was meeting Clive Sir Clive Woodward actually an hour later so I was meeting Blackie at I think it was about one o'clock and I was meeting Clive at three um, to do the BBC um, podcast that he did I think I referenced Wayne Rooney and Wayne Rooney got upset on it about the difference between him and Cristiano Ronaldo at the time blah 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 but that was meeting Clive afterwards so I'd come out of this meeting walk along the, the river at Richmond to meet Clive and I just remember thinking wow I've actually did this fella's He's got some of the answers I've been looking for. That's mm-hmm. the best hour and 30, 40 minute conversation I've had in a long time about performance. And I just remember being reinvigorated by it. Obviously, I had to go and meet Clive and do the podcast. No disrespect to Clive. I love him. He's a great guy. He's done lots of favours for, for me and, and vice versa. But but Blackie was was so inspirational. Uh, that Clive, who was a World Cup winning coach, uh, very, very well respected man in sports, um, kind of paled into significance. You know, when we were there, I was like, God, I wish I'd have met them a couple of days apart rather than a couple of hours because I couldn't really get Blackie's conversation out of my mind. But at that point, I knew we could we could move forward and I could I could certainly had a mentor here that could help me um, on my life journey, really. 
And and is that something that you've sort of continued on with and he helps you now or you use some of the techniques that he's helped you with with your players? You How do you draw on his influence now? Well, he, he obviously came in and worked at QPR at uh, the back end of that year, um, did some days, which uh, we ultimately ended up getting up in the playoff final. He was a huge, huge factor in that. I mean, the most important piece of that uh, puzzle. Um and then Bobby Zamora second with his goal. I remember um, it. But Blackie, Blackie's the main man there for me, for me anyway, uh, because of the work he did in the background. And, and obviously the players were buying into it, but, but he instigated things I never thought were possible in a short space of time in terms of team building, in terms of you know a football club. He took a very, very poisonous, toxic dressing room and, and, and flipped it on its head and accumulated in Bob's goal and, and then the scenes that followed that. We kind of reported back for the next pre-season and I knew within 30 seconds of being in the building that the club was in trouble. Just different characters popped up, different attitudes and I just thought we we ain't, we ain't good enough to, to have these in our dressing room and, and survive in the Premier League. So then Blackie goes and works with I think a, a few other teams and, and we, we kind of, I went Burnley, uh, we kind of had our separate uh, period where you, you, you know, you go and stand on your own but then you find yourself talking to people and, and referencing things and quoting things and showing people. And then you realise, God, I'm actually a disciple of Steve Black, like whether I want to be or not. It's just stuff that is just over the over the process of working with him. And it's similar with Peter Kay. You know, the, the great mentor of mine was yeah. Peter Kay from Sport and Chance. And it's very, very similar. I mean, all of beer Pete's not been around for a long period. Um, he passed away a, a while back. He, he, he I met him at when I was 21, 22, and you know, we did a lot of male psychology together, mainly to work out why I was having a lot of problems in, in my own life and, and how I could make things uh, different. And I always wanted to understand, so because I always thought I would be a manager or a coach, and I always wanted to understand the why, because I thought I'm going to need to help players at some point who are having the issues that I'm having. But also, I just thought if you're helping people, you tend to get on in life no matter what you're doing. If you're somebody that goes to work and everybody's delighted to see you turn up in the morning because you they know that you help them, then you're going to do well. Let me ask you quickly about the uh, the Premier League season so far. I don't know how much of it you you can keep across because you're operating, you know, obviously in a Sam, you know me. Basis. You know I'm an obsessive compulsive football person, so you know I don't miss anything ever. So tell anything. me then, who's impressed you? What have you thought of it? Uh, at Liverpool, obviously, I think that they've they've should be given the title. It's over, isn't it, really? Barring the, the dotting of the I's and the crossing of the, the T's. Um, but again, I mean, you know, there's some really interesting things still going on and you want to see a finish for that reason. I mean, the the the, the race from Liverpool down is, is very, very interesting. I think there's there's lots alive at the bottom of the table and lots alive, you know, for the Euro, Europa, Champions League and, and, and all those kind of things. So I, I still think, apart from the title, I think everything's... Um, there to play for Norwich winning recently, Wofford under Big Nige on a great run. I think you know everything is 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 there to play for, and I, I I'm just not sure how you just put a line through it and say okay, should we just start that again? I don't think, I don't think that will be possible. Is there any players that have stood out for you that you thought maybe wouldn't necessarily take to the Premier League or weren't expecting to have a good as good a season as they've they've had? Um, the the Liverpool team. I mean, you could go through them player by player. You know, for for a period they've all been uh, top class, so I think that's a real squad effort and a real group effort. City have had clearly lots of problems in the defensive phase of the team with 
Laporte's injury and and and, and that hasn't allowed them to settle. Um, but still, they've had a, a a good season and look on course for um, certainly getting into the latter stages of the Champions League and already had the Carabao Cup in the bag and um, <laughs> another successful season from Guardiola. I mean, it's it's an incredible job he's done there. I mean, I, I know he's had a lot of money to spend, but you still need to build a team and, and, and put uh, performances together and keep those players motivated through the successful periods. And I think that should never, ever go underestimated. Carlo Ancelotti looks like he's got Everton back moving in the right direction. So I, I think there's there's so many stories and this is why you need that last period because you know, it, it puts the, the final chapter to, to those books. I mean, imagine picking a book up and reading and it's only got... 18 of the allotted 20 chapters in, so you, you know, you'd feel like, what, what what's going on here? There's so much, you know, still to play for. And I think, I mean, it, it, it's still a very, very exciting time, albeit Liverpool have virtually won the league, yeah. I would say. I can't see them not winning it, Sam. Imagine, imagine being the Amazon uh, documentary uh, director down at uh, Tottenham. You followed this team through this tumultuous season and then you're just about to get to the end and it's starting to get even more interesting because they're struggling so badly and you don't know whether they're going to make it into Europe or what. And all of a sudden, everything just shuts down. You've got to wait now to finish your season. But, but it's almost like two seasons within a season, isn't it? Because depending yeah. on how long... like we, 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 We're also thinking... well. Do we use this like, okay, we could be weeks here where we use it as an opportunity as a springboard to freshen people up? Is it months where then it looks like, well, we need to shut it down completely and almost pre-season the lads again? Mm. Or is this even longer, which is, who knows? I mean, the last time we had stoppages like this, I think it was World War Two. So this is uncharted territory for, for lots of us. And, and as I say, if the government knew what they were doing, I think it'd make it a hell of a lot easier. But it just looks like even... You know, they're only elected, only people who were voted for. They're only they're only people like me and you who've managed to canvass and get a number of votes and crawl up someone's backside here to get themselves on, or, or actually just be good people who are helping people out. Who knows? But but they're only humans. They're not scientists. They're not superheroes. You know, Boris Johnson, probably a decent fella. But let's be honest. I, if he knocked on our house to walk me dog, I'm not sure I particularly be that confident in him getting from point A to point B and back in one manner. So I'm not sure how I'm going to get him to solve this global pandemic. I mean, he, you know, I'm not really sure that's his bag. Um, but we voted for him. So, or, or, or people voted for him. So, you know, just hopefully this is something that will pass relatively quickly and, 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 and people will be okay at the back end of it because that is the most important thing, mate, you know. It is fascinating to hear him talk about all the different aspects of his career and just throwing it back to the Fleetwood Town situation, he discussed that how he's got to keep in touch with his players on WhatsApp. It must be quite difficult to be able to do that. It's not like uh, a Premier League club where you've got loads of staff that are, are helping you keep tabs on you know, 30, 40 players. I suppose the playing staff is smaller at Fleetwood, but, you know, it's him and his assistant and his and his first team coach, and that's it. There's, there's not there's not too many other backroom staff for him to lean on. Um, listen, he's a, you can tell just by listening to what the way he talks that he's quite a sort of, you know, upbeat guy at the moment. He's enjoying what he's doing with with Fleetwood, and he's, he's he said he's going to give himself a, a, the opportunity to, to self-improve. He's going to read a lot whilst he's uh, uh, off the uh, the training field, but um, whereas Fleetwood don't really have to worry too much about their their finances, I, I think we mentioned it right at the top. Some EFL clubs really will worry, won't they, Alex Crook, about what happens next? 
Yeah, they will. This this is a worrying um, situation uh, because the insurance policy that most clubs will have taken out won't cover them uh, for this coronavirus shutdown. And I know there are big concerns within the EFL uh, that policies won't pay out, um, even though clubs at first thought they were protected. So therefore, the only way to stop sides really find themselves in big financial trouble is to play out the season. And I hope the Premier League are acutely aware of that as well. Um, I was listening to Adrian Bevington uh, speaking earlier this week, and he was saying, I, I don't think football clubs, even at the lowest level, even in League Two and the conference and, and further down the pyramid, will be considered as small businesses just because of the sheer amount of money that is in the upper echelons of the game. And I think the government, I agree with Adrian, will take the approach that actually there's enough money in the Premier League that if clubs lower down the food chain are struggling, that money needs to be filtered down. Now, whether that will happen, it didn't happen when Berry went out of business, uh, remains to be seen. But I do think there is a moral responsibility and a moral obligation here of everybody in football to make sure that no club is forced out of business because of what's happening and, and, and events, listen, unprecedented events that clearly are beyond their control. Um, other bit of news, Nemanja Matic has had a one-year extension uh, triggered on his contract at Manchester United as an out-and-out Manchester United fan. Are you uh, satisfied with that? Yeah, I think so. Um, I think his partnership with Fred in recent weeks has been don't, a big don't, part don't of their success. Don't be too positive about it. <laughs> no, I mean, listen, Nemanja Matic isn't a player for me who is, is going to, to to win Premier League titles for Manchester United. I know you'll well, say we've done it for Chelsea. Chelsea. Yeah, there you go. Um, <laughs> I, I, but listen, I think he helps make them tick over. And with Bruno Fernandes now, are we going to play the you know the uh, the Star Spangled Banner that you've made? No, it's They've just got a little that... angel sound effect every time that you say the words Bruno Fernandes. It just goes off. <laughs> uh, but he brings the stardust. Uh, Matic is, is the engine room, and, and I think it works. So, yeah, a one-year contract. Yeah, positive move, but let's not get too excited, but I'm not too downbeat either. No, it's good to see that you, you're, uh, you've are you got some sort of uh, life in you in terms of entertainment, because I was worried that you were taking everything far too seriously at the moment. Thanks to Joey for being part of the programme. Next week, we'll do another uh, live figure from um, the game about how they're dealing with their their, their isolation or their uh, training on their own or their uh, their newfound free time with their reading uh, a self-improvement, self-help book or learning a new language, I don't know. But we'll speak to someone in, within the game and get their take on how they're dealing with this coronavirus crisis. Crook, thank you very much. Good luck. Stay safe. And everybody else, stay healthy. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds? We set them. Form guides? We've got them. Expert opinions? We share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18+, begambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. 
Let's get this dinner party started.